All right. Well, uh, thank you, Kirk. I appreciate you coming on and chatting a little bit. Absolutely. Super happy to be here, Tyler. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, there's quite a bit of metal in the background there. I uh, so that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a few things back there. That's awesome. <laughs> so really, with this podcast, um, I just wanted to get to know you, and then listeners can get to know you. People that are just getting into the tactical games, um, or veterans, you know, people that are just out there. We've we've seen you at different games, whether you're a battle boss or you're competing, and um, just want to get to know you a little bit more. Cool. Well, so, so your name's Kirk. Um, start, uh, start from the beginning. When, when were you born? <laughs> uh, so I was born a beautiful spring morning in the Bitterroot Valley in Montana. Uh, and uh, that's where I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Montana, um, lived out kind of in the sticks for most of my, my childhood near, near Stevensville, Montana, um, which is pretty much the coolest place that a kid could grow up. Um, I had, had, you know, run of the, the woods and mountains and rivers and streams and ponds. And so I what part of grew up in the outdoors fishing. Um, my dad is an avid outdoorsman. So watching him hunt until I was 12 and then started going with. And, and so, yeah, that's, uh, I attended Florence high school, um, graduated from there a long time ago. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then from there, I, I actually served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for two years um, in Chile. And cool. uh, that was an awesome experience. While I was there, I got this weird feeling that I needed to join the military, which was completely different than anything that I had ever considered. Because my father was a military man. My older brother was in the military. I wanted nothing to do with it. I was like, that is not my not my life. Yeah. Um, turns out I was wrong. <laughs> it, it's weird that a teenager didn't know what, what his uh, life plans were. Yeah, um, well... You seem to be pretty in tune when you're out there trying to be in tune. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I came home and uh, I I told my brother, I'm like, hey man, I I feel like I need to join the military. And I had always been really really interested in the medical field. Um, I had I had been in Boy Scouts. Uh, I had done a lot of first aid in Boy Scouts, and just really always it always had a draw to me. So I thought, hey, I'll join the military, um, serve my country, give back, uh, give back for all the amazing opportunities I had been given in my childhood and throughout my life, um, and you know just just learn a cool skill. Uh, I decided I wanted to be a medic. Um, my brother was like, no, man, you're at the time it was a 91 Bravo. I was like, I think I'll just be a 91 Band-Aid. And, uh, he's like, nope. <laughs> uh, so he told me, you know, you're going to, you're going to be an 18 Delta. And I said, I have no idea what that is. And, and he said, I've got some friends that you can talk to. And he sent me to talk to some special forces recruiters. And uh, they told me a little bit about it. I said, man, that's, that's a lot. Um, wasn't quite sure, you know, but uh, thought about it. 
and it just felt like the right thing. And uh, I realized that that's where I was supposed to go. And so I signed on the dotted line. Over what kind of time span was that, uh, you know, joining the army to deciding when to go special forces? So I enlisted with a special forces contract. Cool. Um, so the decision to join the army and signing with the special forces contract was about two months. Okay. Um, yeah. It was fast. Yeah. Um, and okay. So at the time, this was in 1998 at the time, um, only special, only national guard could sign with a special forces contract. Active duty didn't, hadn't reestablished the x-ray program yet. Um, so that was something that like active duty counterparts, they had to do, you know, some of those guys had four, six, eight years in the military before they could even get to selection. So I, uh, I enlisted, um, and, uh, yeah, said, yeah, I'll, I'll be an 18 Delta. Let's go for it. Um, you can't just enlist and go straight to special forces. You have to have an entry level MOS. Um, they sent me to infantry. So I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, spent some time there in a beautiful place called Sand Hill. Um, and it, don't mistake it with the beach. It's, it's not nearly as fun. Um, so went to Sand Hill, uh, did, did my time there, um, graduated basic, went across the street to airborne school, um, got pushed out of a plane five times, got airborne qualified, and off I went on to the rest of my training. Uh, found myself in selection about six months into my military career. That's awesome. Yeah. And selection is the selection for special forces. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So, so the old ballot of the Green Beret says 100 men will test today, but only three win the Green Beret. Well, the first step in that testing process is what's called special forces assessment and selection or SFAS. Um, you have to volunteer. You you go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and then they ship you out to Camp McCall. And uh, you're out there for hopefully, and the, the course runs for 21 days. Uh, that's the training portion. You're there for like another day of admin stuff. But you're hopefully there for the whole time. There are a number of gates that you have to make it through. Okay. Uh, it's, it's evolved since I went. It's, it's changed quite a bit. Uh, I'm not going to say it's harder or easier. I, I don't know. I just know what I do. Everyone like seems to know about Hell Week in the SEALs. Is it similar right. to that? So kind of, yeah. So to break it down, basically you're tested um, in three main components, okay? They're really looking at your overall physical fitness. They're looking at your ability to learn probably new skills, land navigation is kind of how they test it, um, which isn't a new skill for a lot of experienced soldiers. It was new for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then the other piece is um, they test you on your ability to integrate as a team member, cool. and then they put you in some pretty difficult situations where stress is going to be up, 
Yeah. You're going to be tired. Your real personality comes out and uh, they, they look at you and see if you're the kind of guy that they want on their team. Yeah. Um, so, so th those are kind of the three components. It's broken down. It, it was broken down into three weeks. Um, one week, the first week was like individual and it was all physical fitness. So we did three runs, we, uh, one of which was the typical army APFT at the time. So two miles and we did like a seven miler and we did like another four miler or something like that. Yeah. Uh, we also did ruck marches, lots of ruck marches. We, we lived with the rock on. Yeah. Um, and, and when I went through, it was 65 pounds standard weight in your ruck plus two full two quart canteens, which is another eight pounds. Wow. And that's just your ruck weight. Um, and then you had your LBE, your load bearing equipment and your rifle, your, your fake rifle. You're loaded um, up. Yeah. Yeah. So you were, you were loaded up, but like, and, and you know, later on, I found out why, you know, why did they test my ability to carry that stupid weight for so long? Because part of the SF mission. Um, so, so yeah, three weeks of, uh, of that week one physical fitness, you do your rep marches, they're watching all your times. They're looking to see if you, you, uh, you know, do awesome at the, at the four miler and then sandbag the 12 or sandbag the four. And then, yeah. you know, kind of cruise on whatever the case may be. And their standards that they're looking for at the time the minimum standard for a ruck march was 15 minute miles. So okay. your 12 miler, you had to finish that thing in three hours. Yeah. You had to be done in three hours. If you weren't done in three hours, that was like, Hey man. And that's the ruck with all the weight. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the ruck with all the weight. Yeah. And, and the 12 miler was actually the middle distance ruck. Okay. So uh, we did a four, a 12 and like a 26 miler, like yeah. a grinder. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was week one. Week two, you also we did a swim test, very basic yeah. swim test, and uh, kind of a water. Do you panic in the water test? Yeah. Um, and, and so that was basically week one. But to make it a little more interesting, they they would give you tasks, and they would they would give you uh, you'd have to go sit in a class. Or they give you some like kind of weird psychological evaluation that you had to sit there and take. Yeah. Or they say, hey, draw a picture of yourself as a green beret. You know, just like weird stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, and there's psychological evaluations as well. So they're, they're looking at all this stuff and uh, they, um, they, they keep you awake is basically like the whole purpose of some of this stuff. Yeah. So you asked about Hell Week. Hell Week is tough because they don't want those guys sleep, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and if you've never been like, if you've never been a, a new father and don't, or mother and don't know what sleep deprivation is, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's and, pretty, uh, pretty crappy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so crap uh, um, me for being a dad, sort of. Um, my yeah. wife might argue, she'd be like, no, you slept. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, so... Um, we uh we would stay awake and you'd get maybe four hours of sleep a night. You know, that's that was kind of what they do. Um and sometimes they they'd test you, they'd just be like, All right, guys, go back to your bunks, but you 
you can't go to sleep yet. Um, and you'd go sit in your, in your big open barracks and chew the fat with the guys or read a book or whatever, talk about how cool you are, what you did before that. And, and like, I just like listening to these guys. Cause I'm like, dude, I've been there in like 10 minutes and these guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I, I have, you know, just a great time, like listening to all these guys and learning. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, week two, so week one, if you meet all the gates, they're like, Hey, cool. Week two, we're going to do some land navigation. And they take you out in the woods. You get a couple classes. You you learn the basics, and then they take you out in the woods and they they run you, man. And you're like you're doing land navigation. And for those of you who don't you know understand what land navigation is, it's it's getting from point A to point B with nothing but a compass and a map, you know. And uh, it uh, it's interesting, you know. It, it's a really important skill to have. Um, and it's not honestly that complicated once you understand it, um, but it's something that was kind of new to me. And it was a lot of fun to learn. Uh, and so th- we started it out and they used the crawl, walk, run method. You know, we go out there, they walk us around, they have a guy who shows us how to do it. This is the process I use that helps me be successful. We get the classes, map reading, compass work, you know, all that stuff. And then they're like, okay, now go apply it. And we start off with pretty short uh, land navigation uh, movements, you know, like four or 500 meters, 600 meters. Um, Not too bad. uh, Where if you're not right on azimuth, you're not going to drift too much because your angular deviation hasn't gotten that big yet. Yeah. But then... uh, then you do it at night and you can't use, you can't use flashlights. It's yeah. all walking around in the dark. And um, then it starts getting longer, you know? Yeah. And uh, you do about five or six days of that. And then it culminated in what's called the star exam. And the star exam is an 18 kilometer straight line distance four point. So there's four points that you have to get. Yeah. Over those four points, you're going to cover 18 kilometers, which is 12 miles. You're going to walk 12 miles straight line distance, which I wouldn't recommend. Um, yeah. There's yeah. better ways to do it. I tried the straight line distance. It did not actually work out well for me, which is a long story. But um, basically, yeah, my compass broke. And I got oh no, unbelievably disoriented uh completely dark night uh and i thought yeah i'm done there's no way i'm salvaging this uh but i I managed to like take some of the other stuff that they had taught us because like i said they used the crawl walk run method and you got to go out with these guys who had experience and these experts and and they they told us these things like hey man you can use sound to navigate at night you know, you can, like, you hear things and you can be like, oh, well, that's dogs barking and there's a whole bunch of dogs. Well, there's a dog kennel over there. That's probably that direction. And you can actually orient yourself off that. And that actually saved me, you know, because I heard a car off in the distance and I'm like, that's probably the highway. That sounds like it's hauling on asphalt, you know? Yeah. So, I, so I was able to navigate in 
complete darkness off of sound, you know, That's and cool. found my way. Uh, and um, I'm not going to say it went awesome for me on that part, <laughs> but uh, apparently it went well enough. Um, I, I finished with like by the skin of my teeth uh, and it hurt. <laughs> um, so you finish up your land navigation, you meet that gate. They're like, good on you, bro. Moving on. Um, and then you move on to team week. Now Navy SEALs have their hell week. Special forces has team week. Okay. Right? Team week, you get put in a group. And then collectively, you are asked to achieve tasks. Yes, there's guys who are put in charge, and they are evaluated on their leadership capabilities. Yeah. Um, so, like, the officers, they're going to, you know, get a mission, and they're going to be like, yeah. but they're all just messed up missions. Like, hey, man, here is a barrel, a 55-gallon drum full of radioactive waste, right? Yeah. And you've got to transport this radioactive waste or nuclear material, Um using a trailer that only has one tire you know <laughs> and uh you've got a bunch of lashing material uh and some rope and you've got your 12 dudes on your team and a sandy road good luck you know yeah, yeah. come up with a plan tell us your plan build your device and off your whisk right um and you got time limits and you got standards you gotta meet and I was super fortunate. I'm going to be honest with you. I was super fortunate. I got put with a team that for the most part was really team oriented. We had a lot of guys who just got it. Um, they just, Hey, it's not about me. It's about making the team work. Yeah. Right. And so <clears throat> we weren't the studs like by any stretch of the imagination. There were some guys there that you just like, you know, were absolute animals. Yeah. Um, you know, physically and knew their stuff as soldiers, but um, my team just got it and we gelled really quickly and we were able to do all of our missions rather well. We only lost one guy to injury and that was really unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was, it was great. And uh, so, so team week was hard, like, man, never been a sore in my life yeah. as I was there, you know? Um, but, uh, it was, it was a cool experience and we finished up team week and then they, they bring you all out and they kind of break the news to you, whether you got selected or not. Yeah. And, uh, once you're selected, then you get to do more training. <laughs> Basically. So, it's as far as the teams go, do they select as a team or individuals can get selected off of? Yes. Uh, yeah. So it's all, so you're grouped as a team, but it's really individually based. Um, and here's the messed up part. You have to rate your teammates. Oh yeah. Right? That's tough. That's, so like, yeah. so like you have to, and, and one of the things they made you do is you had to give a pink slip to, to somebody. Okay. Uh, I think you had to give two, if I remember correctly. You had to give two pink slips. So it's like, if I had to say no to somebody being on my team, who are the two that I absolutely would not want on the team? Yeah. And one guy made it really easy on my team. Uh, he just, he he just was kind of 
shirking his workload and yeah. uh like but he, so he made it easy yeah. uh the other guys it was tough you know it's kind of like and and you had to write why yeah. and literally i remember i i think i wrote on mine was like I, i'm giving him a pink slip because the rest of my team rocks he's awesome too but he rocks just a little bit less than the other guys he got selected which was cool. good cool. um so so that was that was interesting yeah. um having to yeah. be that's an interesting process i didn't know how that went that's really cool yeah so that's selection you get selected um and then you get to go you that's basically your ticket into what's called the qualification course um and for the average uh special forces soldier at that point they get offered an mos a military occupation specialty so Unless they're an officer, if they're an officer, they know they're going to be an officer, right? But but if they're, uh, which is an 18 alpha, uh, but if if they're an NCO, they're like, hey, man, I could be a weapons sergeant. I could be a communication sergeant. I could be an engineer sergeant. I could be a medical sergeant. There's those four that you can, you can get assigned. And I had chosen in my contract to be a, an 18th alpha. So I'm a medic. Yeah. Um, so, and, and most of the other guys were like, please, anything but Delta, anything, <laughs> but, you know, like praying to whatever they believe in. Don't let me be a Delta because it's a, it's another really tough course. Uh, yeah. And I guess I didn't have a grasp on what I was signing up for, but I don't regret it. Um, so then you go to the Q course and that's anywhere from, and I, at the time it was anywhere from eight months long to a full year yeah uh, if you if you were a delta it was actually a longer than a year so that um, medical training plus some yeah so so every special forces soldier has to be trained in small unit tactics so you go back through basically like a, a, a beefed up um infantry training so you gotta learn to up to company level uh tactics okay so and it's not just learn how to be a team member you actually have to lead them because special forces soldiers are actually force multipliers uh, a comp a, a, an sf team is supposed to be able to run a battalion okay so, so you've got to be you know yeah you got to be competent at a leadership level not just a performance level yeah um so you go out and you get trained in that. That that was six weeks out of, back out of beautiful scenic camp McCall. Um, then once you pass that, that's your first gate in the Q course. You know, once you've passed small unit tactics and they're like, okay, you understand tactics, you don't suck. Then you go to your MLS training and you get to, if you're a Bravo, you get to shoot guns and learn uh, learn how to do indirect fire and, and uh, tear apart every weapon known to man and put them back together and employ them. Uh, if you're uh, Charlie, uh, an, an engineer, you get to go and learn demolitions and, and uh, engineering. You build stuff, you blow stuff up, you learn how to do awesome charges and things like that uh, effectively yeah. and safely. Um, and then uh, the Echoes, our communications guys, they go and learn every radio system and learn, you know, wave propagation theory and how to how to 
there's so much involved. Like it's right. crazy to listen to it. Just, I, I know nothing about it. And then everything you're saying, it's like, it, you know, it's a little piece of it and it's probably so big. And it, right. So when I went through the, the echoes, actually the communications guys, they actually had to learn Morse code and they were tested to a pretty high level yeah. of being able to actually key Morse code and receive it, you know? So it's crazy. Um, that's crazy. And, Have you seen the video of that? I think it was Vietnam. It was a, a yeah. soldier that had been taken. So a prisoner of war right. and he's blinking. blinking Morse code. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. That was, that was awesome. And that's another piece of the Q course. We'll, we'll get to that. That was the last piece I did. Um, uh, so you do your, uh, and then the medics, they go through the medic course and you start off very basic. You, when I went through, you earned your, your EM. We started with anatomy and physiology. And this was like where I was like, I don't know if I put off more. Yeah. Than shoot. The anatomy um, part sucks of medic, medic training. So at least it did. Well, I, I remember sitting there and uh, it was a combined course. So all the Navy SEAL medics were in my course. Yeah. All the uh, all the force recon support medics, Marines don't actually have medics. They use Navy corpsmen. Uh, but the guys who were going to be assigned to force recon or wanted to be assigned to force recon, they had to go through the course. Okay. It was called Stockton Special Operations Combat Medic Course. Um, so... And then the ranger medics, guys who are assigned to, and, and they're awesome medics. And like all of those groups have just great medics. But uh, they, we all, and the uh, Task Force 160th flight medics came. Oh, yeah. So all special operations uh, PJs at the time were coming as well. So we all were together for six months of the course. Started off with anatomy and physiology. I remember the Navy SEAL that was teaching it, dropping, he's a master chief, I think he dropped a college level textbook yeah. uh, that thing on my desk. And he's like, you're responsible for everything between the two covers in the next nine days. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. You know? um, and uh, really high academic standards. Yeah. Um, and, and rightly so, because you're going to be responsible for the, for the medical well-being of team members um and uh and more a, yeah. a lot lot more um so anatomy and physiology then went into emt basic we actually earned our emt basic like certification the, the national registry right That's national awesome. registry cool uh, then went straight from there into intermediate for a, a, we yeah. did emt intermediate for about 10 minutes yeah and then we started paramedic cool and yeah. in in the next, like, uh, I think it was about four months, we earned our EMT paramedic badge cool. or certification. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that included even going and doing uh, a residency in New York City and Florida. For I mean, my class was divided up. I went to New York. Other guys went to Florida. Um, we like in, were in the hospitals. ER or in an ambulance? Uh, we did all of the cool. hospital rotation, Sweet. like not just ER, but like labor and delivery. Oh yeah. Uh, ICU, uh, surgery. We, we went and did it all. And, and some of the, some of the doctors were awesome. And they're like, I've worked with you guys before you're super squared away. Jump in on this surgery, man. 
Yeah. And like, you know, and they, they'd normally test you, ask you some questions. And if they were, if they were like, this is competent, I got to do, like, they found out I could sew. Yeah. They were like, Hey, let's let you do some sutures. You know, when I was in the emergency room, yeah. there was this crazy thing going on in New York where box cutters were all the rage in the gangs and they were just cutting each other up all the oh. time. I had some wicked like gashes and they're like, yeah. let's see what you can do. And I started selling and they were like, we're going to call you for everything now. <laughs> and so I got to sell a lot. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. And um, it was a really cool experience. Uh, another awesome opportunity I had there. I walked up into labor and delivery. The doctor kind of didn't give me any, any, he didn't even pay attention to me. He's like, Oh, we got another one of you. Yeah. I was like, Right. Yeah. Uh, and he was complaining about a chart that he had. He's like, I can't stand it when we get these charts from other countries and I don't even know what's going on. And I'm like, what well, languages? He's like, Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. Like, I, I, got, I got this. I do. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I actually I actually was given the patient and was allowed to like deliver her baby. Cool. Um, they took her through the whole whole process. They were like, yeah. carry on, sir. Um the the first labor and delivery that, so I'm, I was a paramedic for, for years. Um, first delivery I was supposed to go into the, you know, you get the permission from the lady who's going to have the baby. And she's like, as long as I don't know him, like, it's great. He can come in and watch. I walk in, they were in my ward. (laughs) (laughs) See you later. (laughs) So sister Jones. (laughs) Good luck. Next one. Yeah. I can totally understand that actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was really cool. Um, I got to, you know, make a better experience for her because she didn't speak any English and nobody in the staff spoke Spanish. So yeah. it was, it was really, it was one of those kind of things that you look at and you're like, that wasn't really a coincidence. That was like a huge blessing. Yeah. You know? So, um, so from there we do our rotation and then we do, uh, ambulance rotation i got put in the queens oh wow so then you saw saw some more stuff yeah boy from montana you know like that so that was that was uh awesome but you know some super cool people and uh had a great experience there and then went back for another six months of medical training after that because once you get your paramedic license they're like okay cool you learned how we do it in the civilian world yeah yeah let's let's talk about how we do it in the military where you're going to see these kinds of injuries so you're going to see this stuff did Um, you guys do like wow what was it called like uh pt now i'm i'm forgetting it never mind um yeah pre like Uh, pre-hospital trauma life support but then there was even more phtls yeah phtls yep yeah we had to be certified in phtls Um, so yeah we did that and uh but then we got into like field care prolonged field care like actually you know you're out on a mission this guy you know now you've got evacuum and like let's talk about planning considerations for evacuations and we had to you know because you're the subject matter expert on all things medical on your on your operational detachment alpha you're you're 18 right um, so you have to advise the commander. You have to talk sense into them every now and again. And they're like, we're going to take one polis litter and we're going to evacuate guys 74 kilometers across, you know, Iraq to Iran. 
it's like you're not going to carry that <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you, you got it was a great course, full of some amazing instructors, and it, it was such an honor to be there at that point in my career. And uh, you know, it, it was it was awesome. And uh, finished up the course. There was a lot of there was a lot of prayer that went into it. A lot of really hard work. I was a newlywed at the time. My wife helped, and, you know, helped me study and put up with so much as I was going through that course. Because really, it was be at work at six o'clock. So I was getting up at five, heading into heading into work. Be there at six for PT formation. Do PT for an hour and a half. Be in class by eight. In class from eight to noon. Uh, lunch break from noon to one, and then one to five in class again. Yeah. for a year yeah. for, for a year and and some of that time you know we were in the field training and that wasn't a nine to five that was you know, non-stop yeah but uh you know so i did that five days a week and then saturday was like i'd go play basketball in the morning um and uh maybe go for a run or whatever if i didn't play basketball do something physical uh i would spend couple of hours doing like a date with my wife and then it was back to study and and that was basically life for for a year and a half yeah um and then then uh you finish up your mos training and they take all of the individuals who have these new skills and uh have learned their little piece of the sf puzzle and they throw them into a pile uh and they give them you know mock teams right so they put you in a team hopefully with two weapons sergeants two engineers two two communications guys two medics uh one officer and, and you know that was the goal right <clears throat> so they put you all in these teams you get a mission which is a special forces mission which is infiltrate an enemy enemy area link up with the guerrilla force train equipped and advised and overthrow the government and everybody was like nobody's done this since vietnam we're never going to do it again this was 1999 2000 2000 yeah uh, i graduated uh from the q course in november of 2000 and uh so um yeah yeah, they're like we're never going to do this man we're never going to do this but this is this is the course right so we go there and it's six weeks long and you do this cool it's called Robin Sage and like an entire county in North Carolina gets involved and, and they're just like, they, they love it. it. It's been going on for years. Kids play along. That's awesome. You know, farmers are jumping in, you know, playing roles and all this. And, and it was a, it, it was an awesome, awesome training experience. Um, you finish up that, that's when, at, when I was going through, that's when you were awarded your Green Beret and your tab if you if you succeeded. Um, another situation where you have to rate your teammates, you know, hey, were these guys good? Did they suck? What was the deal? Um, and the cadre are also watching and they evaluate you. Uh, so finished up with that. And then there was still another eight months of training after that. We had to get because every special forces soldier is required to maintain a language qualification. 
Okay. I was somewhat unique. I already had another language. Yeah. But it wasn't the area of operation my unit was assigned to. So I was like, I want to learn another language. Yeah. Right. So I already spoke Spanish from my mission. So they assigned me to Thai uh, because my, my, at the time, my uh, group's area of operation in Southeast Asia. Okay. So, so they sent me to Thai language school, went to that. Uh, it was, it was a blast. Uh, that was six months long. And then after language school, the last stop was Cedar school survival. Of the okay. So that's why I said, yeah, we got to do that too. Yeah. Um, that one was a blast. Started out like a Boy Scout camp with fewer rules where they're like, you got to make traps. you got to make weapons. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you can, if you can catch it you and kill it, you can eat it. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, it was, it was a blast for a boy who grew up in the sticks and Montana. Yeah. <laughs> that was like childhood. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. So that was the first week of the three. Then the, then the second week was learning um, evasion and resistance techniques. And then the third week, was employing them and uh, that week it wasn't fun (laughs) because you get trapped and you get yeah yeah um it's it's well orchestrated to where you're going to spend time as a as a prisoner um and you it it was one of the worst courses i went to but the best course i went to yeah worst because it is absolute misery <laughs> there there are times where you are absolutely miserable uh, because they do such an amazing job yeah uh, like the, the the cadre and the the staff that run that course the instructors are absolutely phenomenal um and they make it absolutely terrible for that last week just absolutely terrible um you're hungry, you're cold, you're scared, you're you're getting broken down. Yeah. And and then hopefully bringing yourself back up or having your having help from your other teammates bringing yourself back up, and then they're gonna tear you down again. It's like it is an emotional roller coaster, right? And uh, you get your butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah that's crazy. Um. So it was tough, but at the same time, it was such an amazing learning experience because you like to think you're one thing but but some people really got peeled back yeah and found out what they what they really were and you know that's a useful thing because none of us are actually fixed fixed points you know like you have characteristics but you can change your character if you're not pleased with it you can actually change it you know and that can go good or bad, but uh, you've got to know where your set point is. And, yeah. and so that was a really interesting experience to see what really got to you, what really worked, what didn't, um, how mentally strong you really were, how resilient you were. Um, it was it was cool. Yeah. And terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's probably something that even, even – with you describing it so well, I 
would imagine that no one can know what it is until you're in it. You know, I, no. I can't. Because you don't know how you're really going to react. Yeah. You know, and they're going to, they're going to throw so many variables at you that you're going to find out like they're, they're looking for your weakness, just like in, in you know, an adversary would be. Yeah. But their purpose for looking for your weakness is so that you understand and you can yeah. prepare your adversaries to actually just exploit it and just get there, you know? So, so it was, and then at that point, it's like, Hey, you're done. You're done with the Q court. And, you know, now you're fully qualified special forces soldier. I finished up September 4th, 2001 and was like, sweet. Now I, you know, I was talking to my team that I got assigned to. They're like, I can relax. Got, <laughs> no, yeah. They're like, we've got this awesome mission. We're going to Thailand this year. We're going to train their, their Royal Thai Marines. I was like, I've been hearing about these guys. I get to use my language school. I get to go do this cool stuff. I was all excited. Yeah. And then a week later, everything got thrown into Everything changed. Disarray. Yeah. Everything changed. Um, so, yeah. That was how it all started. Okay. Uh, and yeah. Then, uh, and then I guess, so... I spent 22 years in the Utah National Guard, um, most of it with 19th Special Forces Group. I did everything from a team medic. Uh, then I got picked up full-time uh, by the guard. Uh, so I worked full-time as a counter-drug, uh, counter-drug, um, drug demand reduction specialist. So I did education. Okay. I helped people understand the dangers of drug abuse and things like that. Yeah. Um, on my full time, then on my my part time job, I was still a cool special forces guy and went and did did things. Um, I was deployed to Kuwait. I was deployed to Afghanistan, and then I got to do all kinds of training missions all over Southeast Asia. Um, in that in that twenty two years, Korea, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, Philippines. Um and and uh Chile. I actually got to go back. Oh, to Chile. that's cool. You got to go yeah. back there on on a mission. Yeah, on a military on assignment. A mili military assignment. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was a terrible one too. I had to go and uh do a subject matter expert exchange on military free fall. So high altitude, high low open parachuting, and oh. got to jump in Chile. And it was awesome. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like it. Um, yeah, so spent 22 years there uh, and then retired. And when I retired, uh, a guy I had gone to selection with and had worked with a couple of times, was in language school with, he contacted me at, right before I retired and was like, hey man, I started this little company uh, would you like to work for me? And I was like, you started a coffee company, bro. And he's like, yeah. And uh, he, cause that's Evan Hafer, the owner of Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, I, I don't even drink coffee. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, I know you don't drink coffee and I don't care. He's like, I don't want you for drinking coffee. I want you to come and uh, actually establish more of a presence in the shooting community yeah. for a black rifle. And I said, 
I can do that. Yeah. Uh, um, I had been shooting competitively for the National Guard for about two years at that point. Um, I, I had been fortunate enough to get selected to uh, represent the, the Utah National Guard. And then I got selected by a national program to represent the United States in national and international competitions. Um, and that's called the All Guard shooting team. Okay. Uh, so I had been shooting with them. So when he asked me to do that, it was kind of a natural transition over. And it was, it was awesome because I got to step into a company that cares about veterans, um, cares about first responders, cares about law enforcement, and was actually in a real way giving back to them. So yeah, like, I got to be kind of a part of that. Also got to stay connected to the competition shooting circuit and uh, the 2A community which I also care about. So it was like pretty cool. Um, and then just the culture of Black Rifle has been really cool to be a part of. Um, yeah. So are you still working for Black Rifle then? So I still do. Cool. I, at this point, I am what's considered the 2A and shooting category lead. Okay. Um, so hopefully a lot of cool stuff to come in the near future from that. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, every mm -hmm. time that I go to the tactical games and we get our, uh, you know, they give us a couple packets of, of coffee, right. bring it back. I'm like, what, what friends do I have? That, Here you guys. Yeah. This. All right. Guys. The packaging's really? amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, 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 our guys are super talented. They're, yeah. they're really cool. It's um, been cool to watch them grow too. You know, you'll just go to yeah. local gun shops and all of a sudden there's black rifle and, it's pretty cool to see what they've done and how they've grown. Right. Yeah. And, and the growth is continuing. Sorry. Phone's ringing. We'll see. Oh no, you're, you're good. I'm also like, I'm in our kind of kitchen living room area and I think kids are coming home from school. So there's probably stuff that's going to be yeah. in the background too. <clears throat> so, so yeah. And, and like the tactical games, I guess let's talk about yeah. that. For yeah, for sure. So I appreciate um, you talking about all that leading up to it. I mean, yeah. A battle at the tactical games doesn't sound like much compared to seer school, um, but it all of that prepared you for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in ways, yes, it, it does. Um, I mean, there's there's things that you can take with you to it, um, but uh, so the tactical games. I actually heard about the tactical games when I was really late in my career. Um, and I was, I was helping run our state best warrior competition. And uh, the state senior enlisted advisor called me up and was like, hey, I want to talk to you about the, this year's competition. I want to make it the best one yet. I was like, cool, man. Let's, let's hear your ideas. So, because you're the boss. <laughs> so, so we went in and he's like, have you heard of the tactical games? And I was like, no, I have no idea what that is. He's like, I want to make our best warrior competition like the tactical. And I think this was in like, this was either early, I can't remember if it was 18 or 19. Uh, but I was like, okay. And I took a look at it. We came up with some plans to like try to, and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of information. At the time. Yeah. You know, it was kind of a new thing. There were some guys who'd done, uh some some youtube videos you know like kit badger had done one 
going to a, a tactical games. A couple other guys had done some, but I was like, man, that's cool. So we did some events that were that were kind of inspired by it loosely. Um, and then, uh, then I was hanging out in my office and a buddy of mine called me up and said, Hey man, um, I've got this major that wants to learn to shoot a pistol so they can compete in the tactical games. I said, okay, cool. Well, I can, I was, I was at that time responsible for the training of the Utah national guard in small arms, you know? So I'm like, that's right up my alley. Yeah. I said, send them over, you know, send, send them over. And uh, so into my office walks major Robin Cox. Okay. And uh, I was, I was like, okay, ma'am, tell me why you want to compete in tactical yeah. games. And she said, you know, I do CrossFit. I love it. I love competing. I want to do something that's more applicable to my military career and is going to make me better as a soldier. And I said, I can't, can't argue with that. Let's go do some shooting. Yeah. Um, we went out to the range, <clears throat> did basic fundamental pistol course, and she was she was super new to pistol shooting. Uh, had really never shot uh, pistols before, except for you know like blinking. Yeah. Um, gave her a quick class, turned her loose a little bit, and was like, "Okay, this guy's going to be a competitor." And I hadn't even seen her physically yet. Like I, I had only seen her shoot a pistol. Yeah, and I'm like, she can shoot a pistol like that. We got something to work. You can go with. places. Yeah, we got something to work. With. And that's exciting, you know, because like I was, I was like months away from retiring, um, and I was also very, very. I had been injured and in physical therapy for probably five years yeah. at this point in my career. Lots of injuries, um, partially due to uh, not knowing how to train appropriately. The military was terrible at training yeah. um, physically especially people who had injuries. Um, and I, I was always able to just force myself to succeed, even if it was like, oh my gosh, that was off, absolutely awful. I probably can't do that tomorrow, but I did it today. Yeah. You know? So so I was able to still, you know, perform to the level, you know, every time I was asked to, but but it wasn't sustainable. I was kind of at that point where I knew it wasn't sustainable. Um, so started training her pretty regularly working with her on pistol and then we started integrating rifle and uh you know it was, it was a pretty steep learning curve because you know at the time there was it, it could be anything you know and it is now again and i think it's going to get even more interesting personally if you want my guess yeah um but uh we started working and she kept telling me you need to train with me and I was like, I'm broken and old, you know? Yeah. I was already, I think I was, well, when we started training together, I think I was 43. Well, when, when I started training her. Yeah. Um, so I would put together these, these stages for her and I'd have her running and carrying sandbags and doing all this crazy stuff. And I'd just be sitting back watching, you know, running the time. You're looking good. Hey, yeah. get a better position, you know? Like, make sure you're focusing on that front sight, uh, that kind of stuff. And finally, one day she's like, no, this is BS. You need to do this. <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm telling you, I'm hurt. I can't. And she's like, no, you keep telling me I'm doing a good job. I want to see somebody else do it. I want to see what you do when you do this. Yeah. So I did it. And 
And she was like, I knew it. You know, you beat my time. I'm not doing that good. I'm like, no, this one was heavy shooting. And she's like, well, come get back in shape. And I'm like, I've been trying to get in shape for five years and I just keep getting hurt. And she's like, let me help you. Yeah. We'll do something different because I was a runner, right? Okay. I was a calisthenics and runner guy, right? And so, because that's the army, you know, yeah. running and calisthenics and, and a rock, you know? So, so she's like, no, we got to build up your muscles. We got to get you overall more healthy. Let's just come to a CrossFit class that I coach. And I was like, okay what have I got to lose you know sure. turns out my self-esteem is what I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a crossbow class will do is it will it will bruise the ego yeah yeah um so I went and took a class it was like the 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 morning mommy class you yeah. know like all, and all the moms just me. crush you they destroyed <laughs> me. like absolutely wrecked me I time capped on the metcon yeah like I I, they're over there squatting more than me. I'm just like, don't think. I mean, like, what is going on? I got wrecked. I walked out of there and I was like, okay, Major Cox will probably never talk to me again. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I have two choices. I can either, well, I kind of had three choices. Two of them were kind of in the running. The third one wasn't. Uh, choice number one was change my name, go into a witness protection program, move away, and just never yeah. talk to anybody that I knew. Even. <laughs> just put that behind me. Just yeah. pretend it never you probably happened. have some evasion skills. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I was I was <laughs> contemplating. Yeah. I had like me and EMAP out. I was thinking about it. Um, I was like, man. So that was option A, right? B was fix fix yourself. And if you're going to be in pain, be in pain for a purpose instead of just being in pain. And option C was just continue doing what I was doing and act like none of that would happen, right? Yeah. And so I remember, you know, literally looking at myself and thinking, how did you get here, dude? Like, you were one of those guys who actually at one point got selected for something pretty elite. And now you just got stomped. And I'm not taking anything away from those women, right? They were fit. Oh, for sure. oh they're in. They're, they're awesome. And I love it. But like, how did I get where I was? And yeah. I was like, man, I'm not comfortable here. And and it like made me look at myself and just really look at who I kind of was, who I wanted to be. And I said, all right, I'm going to do this but I'm going to do it a little smarter than I've done it in the, for the past five years. Instead of going out that day and saying, I'm running five miles, you know, like I used to, and, you know, I, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try something different. So over the next couple months, I started working to just get my cardiovascular system back up and running healthily, rowing, biking, low impact stuff. Uh, then, then I told her one day, I'm like, Hey, what do you what what do you think I should do? Like I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm feeling a little better about myself. Let's do this. And yeah. uh, she said, "Oh, you're feeling good about yourself. Well, let me fix that." <laughs> and so she took care of my ego for probably the next uh, you know six seven months. Um, <clears throat> talked me into signing up for my first tactical games, uh, and the All Guard team 
the National Guard All Guard team was like, "Hey, this sounds cool. We will support you going." So they uh, they picked her up to take to send her as a representative of the National Guard and me. And uh, she went and competed. And at the time, it was women's. There was like a women's and a women's intermediate division. That was it. Yeah. And then there was intermediate, elite, and masters 45 and over. I was 44, right? Yeah. And uh, so I competed intermediate. She competed in women's. I won intermediate. She um, she took third in women's. Yeah. Um, and so both qualified. Well, I I didn't qualify for national. She had because um, you had to qualify as, an, as elite. elite, right? Yeah. But like I looked at it, I didn't identify myself as weightlifter in any any stretch of the imagination. And there was weights involved, and, and I looked at them and I'm like, ain't doing that. Yeah. You know. Um, so, so I didn't think I was going to do another tactical game. So I was like, that's. That was cool. It was a one and done. Plus, I was literally at that point, I think two months from retirement. So okay. I'm like, and retire. Yeah. Um, so then the tactical games posted, hey, where in the West should we do an event? Price and, Utah. Yeah, I put Price Utah, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, come on out. <laughs> put him in put him in touch with the guys at Price. And all of a sudden, like literally like two days later, they announced they're coming to Price Utah. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, oh, crap. I mean, I can't be that much of a jerk to where I'm like, hey, come to my home state. And then they show up and I don't, yeah. you know. So I'm like, I, gotta, I guess I got to do it. But at the time, there was a rule that you could only compete intermediate until you placed. And if you okay. placed, you were done competing intermediate. You had to jump to elite, and there was nothing in between, right? So, so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'll take a swing at it, you know? Yeah. So I signed up for elite, um, went and competed, and uh, did all right, you know? Uh, did better than I expected. Qualified for nationals, and and at that point I was like, yeah, I'm done. You know, obviously I'm not gonna. Because then I, I was going to be retired by that time. There's yeah. no way I was going to be able to afford going all the way to Florida. Um, but then I got hired by Black Rifle, and they said, yeah, that's awesome. Go, dude. Yeah. Uh, so they sponsored me. That's and awesome. I went and competed at Nationals, and that was... So Nationals was in Florida? That year, Nationals was okay. in Florida. That was the first year they did Nationals. So it was the cool. JTAC range in, uh, in Florida, and it was, it was a good one. It was That's his, awesome. He's a smoker. Price um, was my first, my first tactical games. Really, in yeah. in two thousand or two thousand or two thousand and twenty or two thousand and twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Second year they did there. Um, that was a good one too. Yeah, um, it was. It was awesome. Yeah. So. <clears throat> so I was. Uh, I I had a. Um, kind of caught a bug you know i really loved competing kind of made me feel connected to uh, a community which i had lost you know because when you retire from the military you know it's kind of like it moves on without you it's like jumping off a ship you know it's like yeah it ain't turning around for you man it's, yeah it's gone you know it's got its it's got its destination so it was it was like 
I had community in Black Rifle, which was nice. And I had this, this other community and I got to still feel somewhat cool, you know, running around doing dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, hood rat stuff uh, with my friends, right? Um, so I did not place in nationals in, uh, in 2020. And uh, I was like, okay, 2022 or 2021, I'm, I'm gonna come back with vengeance. Yeah. Um, and then they changed the divisions. They they uh, they changed the divisions to where there was uh, it was forty and up for okay. masters. And I was like, okay, you know, my back will probably appreciate that because yeah. you know I still have some existing injuries and and uh, picking up four hundred and ten pound farmers carries does not make my back happy. Yeah. <clears throat> so. So I was like, all right, I'll compete masters. And and now, yeah, they're a few years later, still still at it. That's awesome. So you battle boss for for tactical games, right? Right. Yeah. Um, what else do you do? Do you do anything for tactical games itself? So um yeah, I do every now and again. So I got to be honest, the tactical games has been a great experience for me because there are a couple of things that I came out of the military that I just loved doing. Um, I loved marksmanship. You know, I yeah. loved the competition and the camaraderie that's built through it, being a part of a team and, and, and all that. Um, and the military spent a considerable amount of money on making me pretty proficient with firearms. Yeah. Um, and I love teaching coaching right i love sharing that with other people because it's not just a military thing and you know the more we look at the world today the more we realize it's a pretty uncertain place and things can go south really really fast and if you think anybody's going to come to bail you out of a bad situation you're probably kidding yourself um, yeah. whether that's you know what we're seeing you know in like new york where they have the horrible ice storms and blizzards what we're seeing in California with the flooding, like, yeah. Um, and, and I kind of saw this in hurricane Katrina too. Like there's only so much that the government can do, you yeah. know, even, even if it is well-intentioned, yep. even if it is, yeah. um, there's only so much that it can do. And there's a lot more of you than there are of them. So, so being able to take care of yourself and be a force multiplier versus a, you know, a, a dependapotamus yeah. um, is is a really good thing. So I love coaching and um, teaching people to be proficient with firearms and competent and confident. And the tactical games has kind of afforded that opportunity again. Started off very small, like seeing guys on the range, you know, because like the tactical games is weird in that a lot of the people who show up have never really shot a whole lot before. yeah definitely yeah, you know like they've they've planked maybe their whole life or or maybe hunted and some of them have never even really shot and and like they uh i'd see them out there and i'd be like hey man try this technique and i just real quick you know work with them on some things um then it kind of spun into a few people would reach out to me and i'd talk to them and, and you know i was also helping uh, Major Cox, 
Yeah. And, you know, that was cool, um, having that that ability to, you know, watch her develop. And uh, I can be honest with you, I don't think you guys have seen her best shooting yet. That's awesome. One of these days, she's going to come off the top rope and surprise some folks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cool. Surprised. Um, <laughs> but, and um, she's just a cool person. It's she's yeah. just fun to talk to. You can tell she's just genuine. It's uh, it's pretty cool, which is also the other thing with this community. Uh, whatever the world thinks of guns and, you know, gun nuts and everything, you get them together and it's like, huh, there's a lot of really, really good people here that I would uh, trust with a lot. Yeah. And, and it's so funny because like, um, as I'm, as I'm out there, you know, I try to talk with people and I'm like, Hey, what do you do? I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, what do you do? I'm a, you know, I'm a professional crossfitter. You know, what do you do? Um, I'm a stay at home mom, you yep. know, most of the time, like it's everything, you know, you've got the, you've got the ones that you kind of expect. I'm a law enforcement officer. I'm a, yeah. I'm a former military guy, but there's really a little bit of everything out there. And it's such a cool thing to see, you know, um, seeing all these people, you know, kind of coming together and, and working together. So <clears throat> to answer the question, uh, so they approached me a couple, uh, like last year and asked me if I would do a dry fire program after nationals last year. Uh, well, actually two years ago, 2021. Yeah. Um, they asked me if I would do a dry fire program. I built a dry fire program for them, which was in their training program for a while. Um, and so I did that. Then they asked me if I would teach at their athlete camp that they ran. So I, I got to work with the new shooters at the athlete camp cool. which was a blast yeah um, and again that was like just an awesome experience where like we had a little bit of everything there were literally people who showed up and they're like i've seen this i saw the camp it looks awesome i don't own a gun and i've really never handled one yeah and so you have that yeah. to i mean you know kind of form special forces guy whatever. um so you had a little bit of everything in there um, and so I, I coached at the camp and I have done, a, uh, a tactical games university as well. Oh, um, cool. pay attention. There's more coming up. Sweet. Uh, and, uh, there's an athlete camp and a tactical games university coming up. Uh, so I've, I've done that. Um, and then luckily for me also, and, and it's cool, uh, Black Rifle sponsors the tactical games or has sponsored yep. the tactical games the last two years. Um, and so that's cool because I get to see them giving back to that shooting community and, yeah. and supporting the veterans and the law enforcement and the, and the first responders that we see there, but also supporting these new shooters yeah. and, and helping make that opportunity possible. You know, so I think that's really cool as well. That's way cool. It, it it's cool that you've been involved in all of the different areas, but kind of it, not in the end, but right now they've all kind of come together for you and yeah. almost like, you know, things happen how they should. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I can honestly say that like, if I would have planned out my life, um, this is not what I would have 
Right? Like if you said, hey, hey, 18-year-old Kirk Holm or even 20-year-old Kirk Holm, what, what is your life going to look like at 40, 46? I wouldn't have been like, yeah, I'm going to be retired from the military. I'm going to you know, work for a coffee company and uh, I'm going to run around with guns and, and, and do fitness stuff for fun. Yeah. Um, probably wouldn't have been never would have never would have thought that's pretty cool it's cool how life puts yeah. the right stuff in. and you feel yeah. you feel good and like fulfilled doing everything that you're doing well yeah i mean there's there's obviously some other really big parts uh, to my life i you know i'm, I'm father of five um I, and i have an amazing wife uh who has put up with all of this craziness um so yeah i, I mean it's it's really fun doing this part, but I think the most fulfilling thing is, is, you know, being able to spend time with the family and, and see the kids growing up, you know, cause they're, they're getting older now. I've got a 21 year old and I've got a son on a mission right now. Um, And uh, it's funny because he's serving in Raleigh, North Carolina, which contains Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is where, you know, two years. Yeah. Um, So that's pretty cool. And uh, I actually got to go visit him when I was back at, in North Carolina shooting a competition. Oh, that's um, really cool. He's doing amazing, and I couldn't be prouder. Yeah. I've got another son who's opening his papers like this week. Cool. Um, to, to start getting them ready to submit. And then, you know, two younger, younger sons, 15 and, and 11, and, and, you know, just watching them develop into these awesome people is is very fulfilling um and, and so yeah in a lot of ways i would say i do feel fulfilled in, in uh in what i'm doing uh definitely there's some there's some opportunities in the future that i'd really like to pursue that you know would be even more fulfilling i love i love instructing i want to do more of it and uh help more people you know gain that confidence and uh knowledge yeah what what are uh two things so something that people can this is a pretty general question so this might actually be hard to answer or it'll be easy because you're the expert um something they can do shooting wise to just better themselves uh be prepared for the tactical games and then uh, fitness-wise, in your experience, so one thing shooting and one thing fitness that they could just focus on and be prepared. Okay, so one thing shooting, and this is really general. Um, yeah, it's a tough. General. Never underestimate the importance of dry fire. Um, everybody wants to go and do the awesome stuff. All right, everybody wants to go and be John Wick on the range. Right. Um, and we have access to so much information, so much stuff today. And we watch YouTube and we see, you know, Jerry Michalek and, and uh, you know, all these amazing shooters just burning stuff down. And it's so exciting and so fun to watch. Yeah. But what we don't see is the countless hours that they spent to become masters. And um, so dry fire. Dry fire with purpose, dry fire um, to build the basics and and just never underestimate the importance of solid sound fundamentals and basics. So um, so 
stance, grip, side alignment, sight picture, trigger control, uh, you know, follow through and recovery. If you can, if you can work on, you can work on all of those in dry yeah. fire, and you can be so much more ready. The only thing you're really not getting in dry fire is, is uh, recoil. You know, you're not getting that recoil and, and that loud noise. Yeah. But if you can develop a good dry fire um, program, you're going to be, you're going to be setting yourself up for success. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Um, and it's not expensive. And it's not, if you do it right, it's not super time consuming. I mean, literally investing 10 minutes a day is better than nothing. 20 minutes a day is good. You know, um, you don't want to make it to where it's so time intensive that you're completely burned out. But yeah. have a purpose behind it and just get after it. Is your program still available somewhere? The one that you developed? Mine is not available on the training app. Anymore. Okay. Um, it, uh, I mean, I still have it. Yeah. But it's uh, it's not available on the app anymore. Um, there is a new, um, they, they've integrated the, the training uh, altogether. So now there is a daily dry fire programmed into the, uh, fitness program that the tactical games has as on their uh, fitness app okay so um it it looks good you know uh sal hernandez is doing it he's very competent he's a he's a good shooter and he's a great person cool. uh, so you know and then the training fitness portion is put yeah. on by uh jacob hefner um who knows fitness uh, yeah we've and, had him uh, on the podcast a few times so yeah i mean he's he's an interesting guy he's a good guy um he knows fitness and uh obviously he can coach because you know the top female crossfitter in the world yeah he coaches her yeah um, she's amazing yeah, yeah um so so he seems to know what he's doing um and then uh calorina um calorina is yeah. in charge of the mobility and cool. and uh, rehab and rehab. So it's a good team. Uh, the program is great. Uh, and so let's talk about fitness. Yeah. Um, so fitness, consistency, you know, consistency. Don't get wrapped around the axle of, man, I'm not where I want to be. Okay, none of us really are. Yeah. Start where you're at, accept that, have a plan on how you're going to get to where you want to be, and then consistently and patiently approach it. Um, my biggest problem for the, that five years span where I kept, you know, injuring myself, getting fixed, re-injuring myself was I had no patience. You know, I was like, I'm this guy. I want to be able to get out there and run five miles and sub, you know, sub 35 minutes and I'm going to do it. And I get done being, you know, having a hamstring tear or something like that. And I go out and I try to run like that and I tear, tear a gastrocnemius muscle, you know, my calf or something. Yeah. Okay. Back to physical therapy, you know? Um, so having, accepting, having a, progress driven 
mindset versus just a goal is really important. So yes, we want goals, but the process on how we get there is more, the journey is more important than just, you know, hey, I wanted to deadlift, you know, 450 pounds. I blew my back out, but I got it, you know, uh, because I didn't approach it intelligently. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Versus, yeah, I I really can only deadlift 285 pounds appropriately right now. I'm going to focus on fixing my form, doing it properly, and then building slowly until I do hit that goal. Yeah. You know, Um, so that... That to me is the most important thing in physical fitness is consistency. Consistency with with that progress mindset or process mindset versus just I'm I'm gonna get here right now. Um, I like that a lot. And and then once you once you have that, the next thing I would think of uh, that I would recommend is understand that not all programming is is the same it's like cars you know vehicles um you have to look at what you want to do with your body like what is it that i want to achieve in my fitness um and then once you've determined that pick the programming that's going to get you there right um like if i want to if i have a farm and i want to do farm work i'm not going to buy a geometric yeah or uh or tesla yeah as to, uh, i dated myself there geo <laughs> geo what's that <laughs> uh, i'm not able to buy a tesla right i need a truck that can pull a trailer that i can throw stuff in that i can drive through the mud in and not be too upset about it, right but if i want to commute and i want to go back and forth and, and you know i have a hundred mile commute each day maybe that tesla is a good idea yeah. you know comfortable it's it's gonna save me some money on gas all that stuff so look at your fitness is the same do i want to have show like do i want people to look at me and go wow or do i want to be able to go out and have people watch me go wow uh or do i do i want to move well do i want to feel good you know what what are my fitness goals and then find a program that is going to help you meet those goals. There are some trash, you know, there are some trash programs out there. Yeah. Um, and, and some of them are not appropriate for you. So find the one that fits you and then consistently attack it. So That's awesome. That would be my advice. I like it. Well, it's something that you've done and you've lived. I mean, you, 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 uh, rehabbed yourself back to you know be doing the physical stuff that you're doing right now so the living embodiment of it so i appreciate the advice that you've lived the advice uh, yeah but i i do have to add this um the the other piece is approach it with humility and understand that like there are things you don't know and admitting that is totally okay and and saying hey i need help and and like that was kind of part of my downfall before was i i was just going back to what i knew and then i had a friend who who said no let me help you i know something different and and that was where you know robin came in 
and and helped me through you know starting that process but there have been other people you know like um for the last two years uh well i think it's, it's been close to two years year and a half something like that zach forrest was doing my programming i was i was using yeah. zach forrest programming and it was fantastic it was great he did a great job in in helping coach and, and things like that but um, not just that, like there, there have been injuries that I've had and I've had like um, a great chiropractor and, and friend, Eric Choke, who's helped me out. You know, he's, 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 uh, he's been able to help me overcome some of the injuries that I was still having nagging and, and we're still working through some things, you know, uh, but, you know, having a team of people who are in your corner and helping you is, is awesome. And, you know, yeah. like just having the, uh, and honestly, I've worked with, uh, I've even worked with like a sports psychologist uh, for a little while. Um, and, and that was super helpful. So, you know, if there's a part of your game or your life that you're struggling with, um, be honest about it and, and work and, seek out help and there's lots of people out there who just out of the goodness of their heart want to help sure there's professionals and and sometimes that's what you need to find but like i guess what i'm trying to say is you don't have to do this alone yeah and and, and that's very important because um and it's kind of a topic that's really near and dear to my heart because um being in the military uh, sorry, my dogs are barking. No, you're good. Kids just got home. So being in the military, we have this huge mental health crisis uh, that has been just a tragedy. And it's very under... Uh, I mean, like, people know about it, but, like, we're not doing enough about it. Yeah. Uh, and there's still so many stigmas involved with mental health and and, like, everybody thinks you're supposed to just feel better and be happy. And, and, and there, it's not always that easy, you know, but feeling alone and letting yourself be alone and, and struggle alone isn't always the best option. You know, there's this stoicism. We all want to be stoic and it is what it is. And, um, and that's great, but sometimes it gets really heavy. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people out there that are willing and, and and they might surprise you and and this is the cool thing um i've had some experiences where you know things weren't perfect for me and people come out of nowhere like and you're like where'd you come from and uh you know they become this this uh i don't know for lack of a better term you know guardian angel or, or whatever it's just there at the right time to say yeah. the right thing um to help you through something and they may not be who you expect yeah but but when that opportunity comes i guess there's two parts to this that i'd like to you know, kind of throw out yeah is one when you feel like maybe you have something to say or you should say something to someone do it you know, because you don't know what they're going through. And if you have this feeling, man, I should say something to this person. Like, and it can be something dumb. You know, you, you see something on social media and you're like, that? 
it sounds like it's coming from a dark place. Yeah. You know, say something. Yeah. As my kids would say, it's, it, you know, slide into their DMs. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they're gonna if they're gonna respond, they're gonna respond. If they're not, yeah. it didn't cost you anything. But like, don't don't let yourself wonder that like the worst thing in the world is when someone you know or someone that's close to you decides like this is too hard for me. Yeah. I'm call it, you know, and they commit suicide. And then you sit there wondering, could I have done that? You know, and and did I miss a cue? And uh, so if you're ever in a situation where you're like, and this isn't to make anybody feel guilty or make anybody feel bad, it's just to encourage people to to you know reach out because sometimes there's no signs and there's nothing you could have done. Yeah. Um, like, so if if you're somebody listening to this who who hears this and thinks that I'm criticizing, that is not the case. I am encouraging people to to try to be that that person who's there that you know um can help uh and then the other piece is when you're there and somebody reaches out be humble enough to recognize that they may be there for a reason yeah and and, and like be open to be open to the possibility that they could help you um, because I do not believe in coincidences. I don't believe in, you know, wow, that was lucky. Yeah. Uh, I have I have seen some amazing things in my life. I have some things that I have experienced that are just like, there's no explanation for that other than I choose. Yeah. I choose to say there's no explanation for that other than I was watched out for today. You know, and and it wasn't by any seen hand. Uh, so I, I believe that there is more at work. And sometimes that, you know, God or, you know, whoever you choose to deem it, but I believe. Yeah. Um, sometimes he uses others to help those who are in need. And yeah. so don't be scared to be that one who reaches out. And if you're the one who's floundering, don't be scared to take the hand that's offered. You know? Dude, I love that. I I really appreciate that. That that whole thing. Um, and it is, it's it's more extensive and expansive than than we know. Um, the how the help comes and how we can be a help. Yeah. It's um yeah, I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, man, that's actually like probably a good way to wrap this up. Like just the last five minutes of everything you said right there. That was perfect. Um, well, the whole thing, obviously, but, but, uh, no, I really appreciate that, that whole thing. Um, I'm, we've had a few people that we've known, you know, over the, my lifetime over the last few months that have taken their life. And it's just, it's a crazy, it's a, it's just, Yeah. I guess yeah. I'm at a loss for words for it because what you just said is exactly right. Yeah. And, and like, like I said, um, you can never con control another person. Like if, if people make the decision, it's, you know, there's nothing, there may be nothing that you can do to stop them. And, and, and like blaming yourself for it 
is the wrong answer. But at the same time, you could be the difference, you yeah. know, and, and, and you, you never want that question. For sure. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And, so, and, you know, for those of you who do struggle with, with, with mental health, you know, just remember, uh, I think Jordan Peterson says it beautifully, and I'm not going to get it exactly correct, but he's like, don't underestimate the hole that you would leave in this world if you weren't here, you know, so yeah, matter to someone. Deeply. Absolutely. And, and like, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You could matter a lot. You probably will. Yeah. Kirk, I really appreciate that. Um, I really appreciate the last hour and a half of your time. Um, I know listeners yeah. will, I, you know, push this out as much as possible and get uh, just, yeah people like i just want to get to know people and then let other people listen to people and and just good people like exposing good people so i appreciate it a lot um if you ever need anything you're you're welcome to reach out i mean that's something i i guess i can say privately um but yeah uh thanks for your time in this social media world that we live where where can people find you so i'm on instagram I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram. It's just Kirk Homer at Kirk Homer. Facebook, it's uh, Shooter Freedom. There's a story nice. behind that. But uh, and then um, yeah, start yeah. there. Well, next time uh, I want to hear the story of Shooter Freedom. Uh, <laughs> did you ever think, as a 20 year old, you'd uh, you'd be telling people how to get a hold of you by saying your Instagram and your Facebook? Oh, heck no. <laughs> like, so I, I saw the internet at 19, and I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. Yeah. And, <laughs> so at 20, I wasn't sold on it. <laughs> and we all should have bought Google stock, but yeah, we should have. Cool, yeah. well, hey, thank you. Kirk. Thanks for having me. It. And, uh, I'll get this up within the next couple of days. Cool. Thanks. Thank you.